صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Palestine Remembered on 3CR. June's coming up, and June is regularly telethon month when we raise vital funds to keep 3CR open. Listen to this next ad, and then we've got a very special guest for you. Stay tuned. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical community-owned media during our June Station Appeal. We'll be taking donations online to help keep the station going for another year. Like so many community organisations, we're feeling the impact of COVID-19 restrictions, and we know you are too. But independent community media is more important than ever, and we hope you can show your support with a donation. The 3CR Station Appeal starts on Monday the 1st of June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. 3CR, here to stay. Good morning and welcome back, Yusuf. Thanks for joining us in your own show. Good morning, Nasser, and good morning, dear listeners. Thank you. It's great to be back. It's great to have you, my friend. Great to have you. Now, Yusuf, it's the last day of Ramadan today. Tomorrow is Eid, a very special time for Muslims all over the world. Unfortunately, not a special time for Palestinians, and especially not a special time for Palestinians ex-Yarmouk. Yep, correct. Correct. We're talking, we're talking about uh, an ocean of uh, suffering where refugees uh, of 72-year-old uh, endless journey are uh, in. But uh, even within this big ocean of Palestinian uh, statelessness, unfortunately there are uh, hidden layers and layers of uh, pain and sadness. And one of the most neglected groups uh, and marginalized groups is uh, the group of ex-Yarmouk Palestinians who were forcibly removed from their homes to the northern parts of Syria, and they have marked the second year. So that's the, the group we're talking about. I mean, our listeners are aware we've done a couple of shows on Yarmouk. Let's go back there to the devastation that occurred and then uh, specifically what happened to them to the north of Syria, and then let's talk about Omar and the appeal. Yes, we're talking about, of course, uh, if, if we put it in context, in historical context, um, more than 800,000 Palestinians were driven out of their homes in 1948 at the guns and terrorism of the Zionist gangs, uh, the Haganah, Stern, Ergon, and others. Um, around 90%, uh, around 90,000 ended up in Syria. And these 90,000 Palestinians uh, from 48 to today, 
uh, or to the beginning of the Syrian uh, civil war to 2011, they became um, around four, 450,000. As you know, our families are a little bit uh, bigger than average Australian families. Um, mm. So more than half a million uh, Palestinian Syrians. Because of the Syrian war, this number, uh, uh, of course, uh, changed rapidly. Some internally displaced, some stayed in their places, but the majority became refugees in the neighboring countries of Syria, particularly Lebanon. It's no small number in uh, Jordan, small number in uh, Egypt. And we're talking about also a con- uh, um, we're talking also about a group uh, that uh, face uh, double class refugees compared to the Syrian refugees in these areas. So let's let's leave the refugees aside for now and go back to those who stayed in Syria. Um, because of the targeting of Yarmouk, um, the majority of Yarmouk population fled. Uh, but some had no other uh, options and they chose to stay, stayed in their homes. And later this became their biggest crime. Staying in your own home became a bit of an accusation. If your area and territory is controlled by terrorists like ISIS. So the problem is that if you stay in your home and then ISIS controls or occupies the place, then other parts, other warring parts will view them as a hub or incubators of terrorism. And that will be an indirect accusation of these civilians. Mm. The problem is when the dust settles in Yarmouk and that, you know, without going through the stages of the suffering, because this itself could consume a whole episode or more. Let's skip to 2018, where the, the, the destruction of Yarmouk. Uh, at the end of that, this group of people found themselves in the accusation box. They needed to defend the very simple question, why did you stay home? And that resulted in driving them out, forcibly removing them to the northern part of Syria. Uh, so we're talking about 1,500 families. 4,500 plus refugees who were third generation or fourth generation refugees of 1948 having to find themselves again in May 2018 uh, driven out of their homes in a tent, literally in tents with only the clothes they have on. You know, May in the Northern Hemisphere is summer. So soon after winter came and they had literally nothing. They had no winter clothes. So, of course, the, the problem escalated, uh, the, the humanitarian uh, problem escalated because this 4,500 Palestinian refugees did not stay in one place. They were scattered in a bigger ocean of internally displaced Syrians who number more than 3 million more than 3 million internally displaced Syrians. So it's very hard to identify, to, to locate them and to dedicate a Palestinian program 
this big ocean of internally displaced Syrians. So we're talking about uh, a highly marginalized group, and unfortunately, a group that has been uh, unfairly labeled by the media, including, unfortunately, some of pro-Palestinian media, that they are incubators or hub of terrorism. I mean, the reality, we've spoken about it before, but just give a recap to our listeners. Aside from the fact that they've had no love internally, the reality of being a Palestinian Nakba survivor within Israel, as far as the United Nations go, as far as Lebanon or Turkey and Jordan, the country that have taken most of the Syrian refugees, Correct. That's not a proposition available for Palestinians. No, no. Even even we're talking about about wartime and missiles, rockets do not discriminate and differentiate between who's Palestinian, who's Syrian, who's uh, uh, anything else. Unfortunately, the neighboring countries of Syria treated refugees differently. There is a set, set of rules and regulations that were applicable to Syrian refugees in Jordan, Turkey, Lebanon, and Egypt. And another set of rules and regulations that were applicable to the Palestinians of Syria. And these regulations in summary would mean that first of all, denial of entry. And if they, if they finally made it, restrict, more restriction of freedom of movement and more, and, and denial of international charity programs. And most important, denial of registration in the United Nations, the UNHCR. The, this is a legal issue, an administrative issue, but because it was not resolved in 2011 and 2012, it led to a series of subsequent obstacles that only the Palestinians of Syria in these countries suffered. For example, as you would know, refugees are eligible for protection if they enter another country. Without the UNHCR, you don't have any proof of being a genuine refugee without the certificate of registration that UNHCR offers and gives to the refugees, you are, you cannot prove that you are a genuine refugee. And therefore, it makes you an indirect, it makes you indirectly an illegal infiltrator into that country. That's number one. Number two, the denial of registration deprives the refugees from aid that only, uh, that, that international uh, aiding organizations provide, given that the refugee provides a certificate of registration at the United Nations. And third, of course, because if, 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 if the statelessness is, is prolonged and there is no uh, possibility of return to Syria, the refugees who hold UNSCR rep- uh, referral are eligible for third country resettlement. For example, Australia is a signatory on uh, Geneva Convention of Refugees resettle some of these uh, UNSCR uh, referred uh, refugees. But because the Palestinians of Syria do not hold the UNSCR certificate, they are again deprived from third country resettlement. So it's an added level of pain and suffering that only this group of people uh, 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 faces. And this is outside Syria. The situation inside Syria because of war is a matter of life and death. And we've seen since 2011, especially in Yarmouk camp. And when we talk about Yarmouk, I want to remind our listeners that we're talking about the biggest refugee camp in Syria. We're talking about what the Palestinians used to call the capital of Palestinian diaspora. And we're talking about the place that became 
the reservoir of the Palestinian revolution after 65. Reservoir in men. In Yarmouk camp, this is the only refugee camp that has not one martyr's cemetery. They had two. Two martyrs, two cemeteries for martyrs only. No other refugee camp has this number of martyrs than uh, Yarmouk camp. And this, we're talking about the martyrs of the Palestinian uh, uh, revolution uh, against Israel. And uh, so, so there is a symbolic value and meaning and weight that only a refugee camp like Yarmouk can carry. So after 2011, there is also, a, in addition to this symbolic value and meaning of Yarmouk, Yarmouk is strategically located to the southern part of Damascus. And whoever controls this place controls the passage towards Dara and Huran region in the southern part of Syria. So it's, it, 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 it became, soon after the escalation in Syria, it became a center of attraction to both parties. And they were caught in this, they were caught in this struggle, in, 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 in this civil war. There, there was, there was very, yeah, both, both, both sides uh, had their eyes on your MOOC for military reasons. And it was imp- nearly impossible for the people of your MOOC to stay, uh, to, to convince the world that they are impartial and they are not taking parts. Mm-hmm. And the, so, so that brought, that brought more military confrontation towards their doorsteps. And then the control of opposition in December 2011, which was followed by the MiG jet fighters attack on Yarmouk. And the MiG is equivalent to F-15 maybe, or F-16 jet fighters targeting, targeting a refugee camp. So it did huge damage to the refugee camp and resulted in the uh, exodus of uh, 90% of the population the day after. So that was followed by a siege, tightened siege by everybody, which was followed by a hunger. More than 300 Palestinians of Yarmouk died of hunger. People had to eat grass. People had to eat anything. Uh, and, and, and literally people died, uh, were, were starved to death. And later, in 2015, ISIS raided the, the camp. And under the pretext of fighting terrorism, and fighting ISIS, Yarmouk camp uh, was completely destroyed. The beginning of the destruction started in 2000, in, May, in, in, in April, in April 2018, and it took place over two weeks or more than two weeks. And but at the end of the two or three weeks, each and every building in Yarmouk was uh, destroyed. They did something similar to the carpet bombing of Dresden in the World War Two, yeah. and. The remaining uh, civilians who managed to stay alive were forcibly removed to the north. So it's 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 a very very painful journey. Palestinians out of Yarmouk, these few thousand have been living for the best part of two years now in mm. makeshift tents, third and fourth time uh, refugees from Nakba to now, sitting in the north of Syria. They're in. You know, absolutely disgusting conditions when we talk about. I remember seeing the pictures during winter of the mud just flowing through the tents. You've launched an appeal. Aspire has launched an appeal. We're trying to raise some money for a, a specific project, uh, mm. which, which you've named the Omar Appeal. Yep. Talk about the Omar Appeal. Tell the listeners, uh, remind them, because we've spoken about Aspire before, about its genesis and what Aspire has done to date. Aspire was uh, 
Aspar is a refugee support group that was founded in 2008. Yourself, Nasser, uh, and I were one of the founding members in June 2008. If you remember our dinner at Bohim restaurant. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The idea was to provide language and legal support to the Palestinians, uh, Palestinian refugees who fled uh, conflict zones in Middle East, particularly back then. The Iraqi, uh, the Palestinian Iraqis who fled uh, sectarian violence in Iraq and got stuck on the borders between Iraq and Jordan and subsequently Iraq and Syria. And three years into their plight, three years into their statelessness that started the three years before the, uh, uh, the beginning of Aspire, we realized that we are in front of uh, a humanitarian crisis. Some Palestinians uh, got stuck on the border and we thought maybe we can just help them fill applications and apply between brackets legally to Australia. And we had uh, an amazing uh, uh, blessing and luck. And we were able to resettle 35 uh, families over uh, two and a half or three years from the Palestinian Iraqis, uh, or, or maybe four years since we started back then. And so Aspire is a refugee support uh, group. Uh, it provides language and legal support to stateless Palestinians who flee conflict zones. That's the beginning. With the with the eruption of the Syrian crisis, the scale of uh, of, of, of refugees were doubled more than ten times. Because we're talking about a group of two thousand five hundred people, and now all of a sudden we're talking about hundreds of uh, tens of thousands, and maybe more than two hundred thousand stateless ex-Syria Palestinians. So we could not we could not uh, 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 do anything to this big scale of ex-Syria Palestinians in terms of resettlement. To Australia, but the biggest blow to Aspire came in 2013 with the arrival of uh, Tony, Tony Abbott, which uh, unfortunately applied a discriminatory policy towards the, uh, the, the the Palestinians of Syria, and not just the Palestinians, but also the the favoring minorities, favoring the the, uh, uh, the Christians, the Alawites. There's nothing wrong with favoring or preferential treatment to minorities, but you have to include all minorities. Mm -hmm. If you want to protect the vulnerable groups of Syria, that is the religious minorities, why not? Why did you exclude the Palestinians of Syria? So there was a discriminatory policy, and we tried on an individual level to apply to around 20 families since 2014, and we had zero luck with this uh, conservative government from starting from Tony Abbott till today. So that's Aspire. Go back for a second. I think it's important for our listeners to know that uh, Tony Abbott was specific about the refugees he would allow to come from Syria. Mm. That was specifically Christian. Yes, exactly, exactly. They they, um, they 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 made it clear that we are only going to resettle Christians, but also, but 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 the the uh, the pretext was protecting minorities. So even if if within with their own words. Uh, they contradicted themselves. And we had the help of people like Member of Parliament, Maria Van Vakino, and others. We tried to, to raise this issue, uh, not to exclude the uh, ex-Syria Palestinians from uh, their resettlement program. And unfortunately, we had no luck. But we managed to get over 100 human beings, Palestinians, to Australia from, yes. from Syria. And that was... Uh, from Iraq. From Iraq. From, yes. We have had some success before, so... Dear listeners, I'm going to give you the account details a bit later on and give you an idea of how you might be able to contribute. So make sure you've got a pen and paper ready. Did you want to add anything else to that, Yusuf? I just want to say that...
Uh, maybe maybe we should start, we should talk about uh, Omar because um, while we are not a charity organization, uh, we cannot uh, say no to charity elements sometimes, uh, especially when you know the scale of pain and suffering of people. <coughs> and uh, the four, it, it was nearly impossible to do something for all of the four hundred four thousand five hundred people. So we thought if there is one group among this. Palestinians, what is the most needy? What is the most needy of the all needy people? And we thought we have a, 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 a pattern of uh, uh, orphan uh, children, and we do have 260 orphans. Of course, we didn't know that we have this number of orphans at the beginning. We thought maybe we'll target widows and uh, you know single mothers. Uh, but then we thought... If a single mother is caring for three, uh, cannot be treated equally with a single mother who is caring for one. So my, why not uh, talk about the children? And that's the idea. And in Arabic, let me let me say that the word orphan applies to uh, the child who lost a father or a mother or both. Unlike in English where you have to lose both parents to be called an orphan. So we do have 260 orphans. And we asked, what is the youngest orphan we have? And they told us, well, Omar. Omar is uh, two years and uh, a couple of months. His father uh, was killed in the destruction of Yarmouk a few days uh, after he was born. So we named the campaign after Omar, the youngest orphan of the 260. And our idea was to just pay every orphan $50, uh, as simple as that to raise some fund so we can donate $50 to every of the 260 orphans. And uh, with the support of our community and <clears throat> uh, uh, with our Palestinian or pro-Palestinian Australians, we have raised around uh, 4000 but we are still far. So I encourage my dear listeners to donate. This is the, one of the most needy groups among the, uh, the population of Palestinian refugees. And it will go uh, hand uh, hand in hand to the carers of these orphans. Fifty dollars uh, each to two hundred and sixty orphans. So we've raised about four thousand dollars. Is said out of a goal of uh, thirteen thousand. Yes. So we've still got a bit of a way to go. Bit of a way to go. Yeah. Bit of a way to go. We'll give the account number soon, ladies and gentlemen. So make sure you get your pen and paper ready so you can write that down. We should talk about Omar's father. Yusuf. Reality is, he was a third generation uh, refugee. He was a young, a young man who was, uh, who was a third generation Palestinian refugee. His, uh, he came from the northern part of uh, Palestine. The majority of Yarmouk population are from the region of Safad, Haifa, Akka, Tabaria, Al Jalil. So the northern part of Palestine for geographic reasons. If you are from the north, you flee to the north. If you are from Yaffa, Negev, you go to Gaza or uh, to the West Bank. This young man, um, stayed in his home all his, all the seven or eight years of warfare close to his doorsteps. He survived hunger. He survived ISIS. He survived snipers. He survived the explosive barrels, but the last, the last chapter was too strong to survive and he was killed. Um, a few days after he, uh, Omar, Omar, his son was born. So we're talking about, you know, Omar, Omar doesn't know anything. Omar was born in, you know, he, he doesn't even know the camp. At least his father knew the Palestinian 
a small imaginary Palestine they created in Yarmouk. Now, with, when, when Omar grows up, he will grow without even this imaginary Palestine because Yarmouk was a small homeland. They named the street after their places. They wrote patriotic graffitis on the wall. Uh, I have seen Yarmouk more than 20 times because my mother's family are all... Uh, my mom uh, was uh, six years old uh, when Yarmouk was built. So I know Yarmouk inside out. Uh, so it was literally a small Palestine. So when you lose that uh, imaginary connection, even your definition of homeland will change. Even your connection to your grand grandfather's uh, uh, homeland will change. But with the support... Of uh, with the support of his parents and uh, sorry uh, his his relatives and his community and now us the refugee support groups and the solidarity groups uh, among, uh, among non-Palestinians we can keep Omar you know we can provide Omar with enough enough you know a little bit uh, maybe I shouldn't say enough with a little bit of support so that they can keep going. What's well, a little bit of a gift on uh, after a month of fasting for Eid, listeners. The account name is Australians for Palestine. The BSB is 083125. The account number is 86641-3885. And note Omar Appeal as a payment description. Again, that's Australians for Palestine. BSB 083125. 083125. Account number 86641-3885, and noting Omar appeal as the payment description. I'll also put those details into the podcast uh, descriptor, so be sure to go there if you didn't catch those uh, bank account details. Yusuf, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Um, do you want to tell us uh, a little bit about what you've been doing for the past uh, couple of months while you've had your hiatus go? Thank you again, uh, Nasser. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm betting on the generosity of our listeners. Uh, and I want to thank them in advance. And I think uh, the last two months has been a challenging uh, time for all of us, uh, not just in Australia, but around the world because of the lockdown. And we might be lucky here in Australia because um, at least we find food on the table, at least we don't run out of water or electricity, at least we don't worry about feeding our uh, kids. Uh, and I want you to keep in mind those who don't have the luxury, the, the luxuries we do have in Australia, particularly the Palestinians, wherever they are. And while it saddens me to, uh, to after 72 years of Nakba, that we are still talking about the humanitarian issue of the Palestinian plight, we should be we should be in a much better place. We should be now talking about how to empower the build the state building maybe or the uh, re- the revolution. But but unfortunately, we're still talking about square one of Palestinian statelessness. A little bit of food, a blanket, some winter clothing, because the plight. This is why we say this is why most Palestinian advocates say the ongoing Nakba. It is ongoing. It is a never-ending cycle. It's a vicious cycle. It is very evil. It keeps repeating itself in different forms. And unfortunately, the common denominator in all these cycles is that more Palestinians are crushed under the feet of elephants, like they say. More Palestinian children face 
thirst and hunger and not having access to education or medical support. So we, that's why the essence of Aspire, uh, I would love uh, that we don't have to have Aspire and we focus on advocacy. But the reality is much worse than that. Reality is stronger than that. And we do need, we do need to remember the humanitarian plight while we uh, are in our advocacy uh, campaigns. Thank you. So a very uh, useful summary there. In, in the last minute and a bit, though, I'm sure our listeners, you've had such a long relationship with them. They'd love to hear about you personally. What have you been doing? I have been doing some writing. Um, I've started the journey of uh, writing uh, in Arabic uh, for a collection of uh, short stories. I think the turning point was uh, that uh, some big names in Arabic, uh, big, na- big, big names in critique of Arabic literature gave me their support and they made me have a bit of my faith in my own writing. And now I feel that I can uh, publish something before the end of uh, the year so um, be prepared uh, for uh, I'm going to be a bit stuck up if I do that so but for, for a short for a short period of time and then go back to the normal usage well, we love you and we miss you and wish you every best success thank you so much Nasser for keeping the show alive and uh, thank you to all uh, our listeners and uh, happy Eid to, all, to our Muslim listeners fantastic thanks so much Yusuf so great to hear from Yusuf again. Don't forget, if you can support Aspire's endeavour to give so many presents to those orphans of Yarmouk in northern Syria, please donate. We'll put the account numbers in the podcast link. Again, Australians for Palestine, 083-125, account number 86-641-3885. Thank you for your support. Make sure you note Omar Appeal and Free Palestine.